You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Well, good morning. It is good to see you. It is good to uh, be together here in God's house. And now it'll be a little harder for you to sleep, I think, uh, during the sermon. I'll be able to see it a little better. Uh, nonetheless, it's good to be here. You know, since I've been back from Ukraine, I think this is like the first sunny day that I've had. So I'm real excited about that, and I'm glad that you're here. You know, when I think about this series, Back to Work, it, it occurs to me that when I look out and I see young families and, and so many teenagers and kids here uh, in this service, it reminds me that you all have a lot of great years to do kingdom work. And we want to make sure that you are doing the very best kingdom work for your king, for King Jesus. And I want you to think about this for just a moment because what it is that is fueling you really matters. I mean, what is driving you? What is your passion? What's moving you, propelling you forward? Today, as we get into God's word, we're going to see some very simple metaphors, some analogies, if you will, uh, from the word that are common sense, but they're powerful and they remind us that our words really matter and that our words, in fact, do fuel much of what we do in life. And we want to make sure that those words are filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Word of God. And that way, when we are working, when we're doing the work of ministry, brothers and sisters, we are doing it in the power of God's holiness. And we are able to see lives changed because God is at work through us. Church, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The world needs you. The world needs you to be driven by powerful, holy, loving, truthful words of God. And so today that's what we're going to talk about and ask the question, what drives you. So if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. We have these six verses from James chapter 3. Chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Now we're going to begin with what looks like an exhortation just to preachers and Sunday school teachers, but I hope to show you here today that this is truly six verses that are applicable to every single one of us. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, well, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now notice this. It gets a little negative here. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now, those last two verses are truly hell and brimstone, fire and brimstone kind of passages. But I want you to get it. The reason why they're so strong is because our words are so powerful. So let's make sure that our passion, the truth of God, is driving us. Let's pray in that regard. Heavenly Father, fill us with your spirit today. 
We want to experience you. We want to make a difference. We want to see you work in our midst. God, uh, help us to see what's driving us. And if there's anything other than your Holy Spirit, God, convict us of that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What fuels your passions, your dreams? What is it that is motivating you and moving you? Every day you have in this world is a day to make a difference for the kingdom. And this series, as I said, is back to work. But I want you to understand it's not enough for you to just get busy, to do busy work. Those of you who are, are you know, just one step removed, I guess a couple days maybe out of, uh, you know, schools out and everything else. But, you know, many times we, we, we uh, go to school and we realize that... Uh, that, you know, the passions that drive us, what is it that drives us? If we're just doing busy work, man, that's not exactly something to get excited about. In church, it's not enough for us to just get busy doing something. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and driven by the power of God. If you take a look at the text with me, I want you to see this, especially as he gets into the metaphor there of the bit in the mouths of the horses and the rudder of the ship. Notice the key words, words like bridle, guide, driven, guided, directs. Those are words of motion and direction. We're talking about words today, and we're asking the question in terms of what drives you because it is often our words that are driving us and when we're not having progress in our spiritual life, notice verse 2, it's because we are stumbling in what we say. And that's what we need to realize is that our words can either propel us into doing something spirit-filled or our words can keep us from being spirit-filled. We need the spirit. We want to have, remember James 1.27? We want a religion that is pure and undefiled. But if our words, if the words of our heart aren't moving us heavenward, filled with the Holy Spirit, our lives cannot be pure. In fact, our, our lives, our world will be undefiled. It'll be defiled instead of undefiled. In fact, we'll have what we talked about last week, which is that, that faith that just the demons have, where we know about God and we acknowledge that he's real, but we're really not doing anything to serve him. Listen, church, we don't want to just say we know God or know of God or believe in God, but we want to be transformed by God. Our confession, our words, our actions all need to be spirit-filled and moving in the direction of God. I, I have to tell you, as I'm preaching this today, it's, it's one of those sermons where so much of what I'm saying is so obvious. Um, there's, a, there's a travel company out there today. They have a character known as Captain Obvious. Have you ever seen this guy? He's all dressed up in the captain's regalia, and he says things like, saving money is a good idea, you know? I feel like James today is kind of being Captain Obvious. He's, he's telling us that words are powerful. He's telling us that our words can set things on fire in a bad way. All this is obvious. I know it is, but what's also equally obvious is how careless we are with words. We, we know that it is true that we can do damage, but it seems like we keep doing damage. So maybe we need some obvious, simple, to-the-point teaching. That's exactly what God's Word gives us today. We need a little bit of Captain Obvious for our spiritual walk. Because when I think about it, it, it's really not hard to discern and discover what's driving you. Your passions, whether you want to look in your checkbook or just see 
how much time you spend on any given task, it's not hard to discover what is driving you. But it is really hard to change when what's driving us is not of the Spirit, but it is of the flesh. We can identify our problems. I'm going to tell you, a lot of people know their problems, but a lot of people aren't getting any better because they're not changing. What is the change agent in the world today? It's the Spirit of God. You need the Holy Spirit to transform you. If you are not managing your time for kingdom purposes, only the Holy Spirit can convict you of that and convince you of what path you need to be on. If you are not using your words to edify people and lift up the body of Christ, you may be aware that your words are being harmful, but to change your behavior, you need the power of, let me just get Pentecostal, the Holy Ghost. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I I think about when we come to a passage like this, so practical, so obvious, but what is so practical and so obvious is so rarely applied because we are trying to do it in our own strength. And I am asking you today to consider, to surrender your heart to Christ, to let the Holy Spirit have complete control, to put that bridle in our mouths, to be the rudder of our ship, that he will be the captain of our destiny. That's not Captain Obvious, but he is the captain, the leader, the general, uh, the president, the boss, the ruler of our destinies. God must become our overriding passion, and his holiness and his ministry, his work in the world must drive us. So let's talk for just a moment about the power of words, and in particular, God's perfect word. One might assume that verse 1 in particular, only teachers and preachers are referenced here. If you're a Sunday school teacher, that maybe, you know, you think this one's for you, and it is. But I want you to notice here, verses 1 and 2, the tenor of the passage is really of the whole church. It speaks of, in, in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. So, so notice this. Yes, preachers and teachers have the higher level of accountability, but every single one of us, our words can cause us to stumble. They can be used for good, but James is warning us that they can also be used for evil. The stumbling that we do is in many ways. James is telling us it's not just our words that cause problems, but our words are often uh, the impetus or the spark that leads to the fire. When you look here, James is talking about teachers. Of what? Well, we know from James chapter 1, he's talking about the implanted word, which is able to save souls. That's 121. When we're talking about teaching, he's talking about the law of liberty, chapter 1, verse 25, or the royal law, mentioned in chapter 2, verse 8. So here's the gist of it. When we're talking about James chapter 3, what he's trying to communicate is is that there are people in the church, like me, like your Sunday school teachers, like your small group leaders, who are called to rightly divide the word and help you to get a hold of gospel truth. You see, the word of God is a gift of life to the church. You need the word of God. You need the truth of God. Now, Some jobs, just by default, are more risky than others. You know, I just got off a a plane a week ago, and it was a 10-hour flight. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm putting a lot of trust in a handful of people to keep that plane in the air for 10 hours. Now, think about it. Those pilots have hundreds of people that they're responsible for. An error, a mistake, can cost many lives. Other jobs, too, like being a medical doctor. A medical doctor 
is a person who many times, if he's performing or she's performing surgery, you're putting your life in their hands. Those are heavy responsibilities. Not everyone should do those things. You need people who understand what's at risk. When I was a young man, I wanted to be a medical doctor. And I'm going to tell you right now, I wish I could tell you because I wanted to help people and be a nice guy. No, where I grew up, the only people I knew that were making a lot of money were doctors, so I wanted to be a doctor. They had nice cars and nice homes. I wanted a nice car. I wanted a nice home. So the other day, my son and I were talking about, you know, what, what kind of career and profession. And he's like, you know, I don't know if I'd want to be a doctor because if you make a mistake, somebody loses their lives. And I'm thinking, my goodness, this boy at 16 is thinking uh, in, in, in a, a very mature way. Good, good job, son. Um, he's, he's thinking about people's lives, and all I was thinking about was making money. What a great guy I am, right? Now you see how wicked your pastor really is. Now, no, actually, let's not think of me as wicked, but anyway, it's probably not a good way, way to go if you want to listen to the rest of my sermon. But, but think about it this way. As, as important as it is to, to be a pilot and to have people's lives in your hand, as important as it is to be a medical doctor and to perform surgeries and, and, and people to trust you to do that, I'm going to tell you, if you are a preacher or a teacher of God's word, you, you are saying, in essence, that you're willing to put people's souls on the line, that you are going to feed them something, and those words matter. Why does James say this? Why does he mention uh, this, this, this teaching of greater strictness for teachers and preachers? It's because the stakes are high. Words matter. What we need here when we come together, if you'll notice, we go verse by verse. I know some of the cool churches don't do that, but here's the problem. When you don't go verse by verse, you get too much preacher and not enough of the word. And I am scared to death because I have a lot of thoughts, and they're not always right. Just ask my wife. But anyway, I have a lot of thoughts. But I want to make sure my thoughts are guided by the Word of God. How do we make sure that we are on track? Well, we preach the Word. Now, what's good for me is good for you. And I want to tell you, if you want to make sure that your life is on the right track, the perfect Word of God is the best way forward. Fill your heart with God's Word. Why do we stress Bible memorization in VBS and every other children's ministry we do? We do that because when you hide God's Word in your heart, you have answers that are from God and not from man. i got to tell you, too much advice that we get from pulpits is advice coming from the heart of a preacher or a teacher or a well-meaning person, but what we need is the heart of God. Amen? You need to know the heart of God. Just trying to get your attention there. Make sure you're awake. You need to know the Word of God. You need to know His will for your life. And we don't want to stumble in what we say. We want to make sure that our words are pointing people to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, let me say something obvious. The mouth, the tongue, speech is the uh, main tool of the teacher or preacher's trade. And it's the hardest thing in the world to control. i got to tell you, I've been doing this a long time. I've been, I've been preaching for a quarter of a century, and I can tell you that it's, there's not a single sermon. A lot of times I don't listen to it. When I do, my kids make fun of me. Like, oh, Dad, you like listening to yourself. No, that's not it. I, I want to be humbled by all the mistakes I made so I don't make them again. But the truth is, it's so easy to misspeak. It's so easy to get off track. The tongue is so hard to control. It's the hardest thing in the world to control. And we need to realize that it's not just what we say. Sometimes it's what we don't say. It's what we fail to say. It is hard to be consistent in this way. But think of it this way. God's perfect word must purify us so that we can help others strive for purity. 
Listen, God's perfect world, uh, word can, when it takes over our hearts, it can help us be pure and help us to not only say the right things, but do the right things. And one more thought here, there are no light words when you are trying to live and teach God's word. Everything in God's word is, spiritually speaking, heavy. It's, it's meaningful. It's robust. It's important. What may seem like a minor issue today may be a major point of contention tomorrow. And the only way that you can avoid conflict is when you're filled with the Spirit and your, your mouth is flowing with God's words. One author puts it this way, that we are incapable of reforming ourselves. Uh, we can't just do this on our own. I want you to hear me. I am telling you today, I think James obviously is telling us that we need to control. We need to do the best we can with our minds to control our hearts, our mouths. This is true. But what we really have to do is we have to surrender our mouths to God. We have to dedicate our speech. Listen to me. We have to dedicate our very words to God and ask the Holy Spirit to guide those words. It's the only way. Because if we are driven by anything other than God's word, there is fire coming, and not a good kind of fire. Your imperfect tongue. Look at this, verses 2 through 6. Achieving perfection, well, not going to happen because we're human, I know. James tells us, I think here, that the reason why perfection is impossible is because we talk. <laughs> if you talk, you're going to be imperfect. Notice what he says there in chapter 3, verse 2. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, well, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Let me just say this. One of my spiritual gifts I used to think was my sarcasm. It's not a spiritual gift. Don't write that down. There's one of those things where, you know, the preacher gets in trouble here. Okay, it's not a spiritual gift. But here's the deal. i got to love James here because he's being just a little bit sarcastic, okay? He's speaking my love language, sarcasm. And he goes, okay, you know, church, you think you got it all together. You're telling me how holy you are. All these great ministries you're doing. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Now, James is pointing a finger at the obvious problem in all of our hearts that sometimes our words get in the way. They, our words are out of control. We're not able to bridle our whole body because we can't bridle our tongues. Our speech issues illustrate our imperfections. If you want to prove you're imperfect, open your mouth and remove all doubt. That's what James is telling us. The reference to the bridal here is an entree, as it were, to two simple metaphors, two simple illustrations of, of the power of the tongue. Though it's a small muscle, comparatively, in the human body, it has great control, just like the bridle is a tiny piece of, of metal in the horse's mouth, and yet it guides it. And then the rudder of the ship, same thing. These are Captain Obvious illustrations. That tiny little rudder steers the whole ship. But listen, those obvious illustrations, again, we obviously don't pay attention to them because our mouths keep getting us in trouble. We keep allowing our, our hearts, so when we grow tired, we, that's always the excuse, right? I was tired, or I was a little grumpy, or whatever. But listen, once those words have hurt somebody, all your excuses don't really make up for it. Once you've already let loose the poison, it's hard to draw it back. And that's what I think God's Word is trying to remind us of. We can't ignore our words, especially in the age of the electronic tongue. Now, follow me here. One 
author speaks of the electronic tongue, rungi. He, he speaks of this, obviously, and you know where he's going here, social media. What we have in terms of, of the speech now that we can exhibit is not just the speech like in a room like this or in a Sunday school room. Every time we get on Facebook, every time we send an email, every time we send a text, every emoji that we send out, which my staff is constantly showing me that I don't know what the emojis mean. That's how they disciple me is they tell me, Jeremy, you don't understand that emoji. Or they say, don't ever use that emoji. Okay. That's how they're discipling me. Uh, but, you know, again, words matter, emojis matter, I, I guess. I, I, that wasn't part of my sermon manuscript, but nonetheless, uh, what we type and hit send, it matters. There is no such thing as a harmless statement anymore. It never was, but certainly not now. Many of you are young, or in college, or about to go in college, or in a couple years will go into college. I'm going to tell you something. Those things that you have out there right now that you're typing and hitting send, those things can cost you a job down the road. Words matter. People are paying attention. Now, some people talk about, you know, the cancel culture and how it's just a sign of how wicked we are. That's true. I mean, listen, the culture today doesn't mind canceling you because they really don't love you. Notice who's getting canceled in the cancel culture. Usually it's not Christians because we've been canceled a long time ago. Who's being canceled are the people, the cool people, the, the Hollywood people. The, a lot of times it's, it's fellow journalists going after fellow journalists. Notice what's happening. It's, it's like they're eating their own. Why? Because in the world there's no grace. In the world there's no mercy. In the world there's no love. There's just retribution. There's the heavy hand of discipline and justice. But justice is defined by one's own opinions. Listen, we have an understanding of justice. We know what truth is, and our anchor is the Word of God. We do not judge people on our opinions, but we will stand firm on the Word of God. We'll get in plenty of trouble doing that. But that's okay, because that's our foundation. How many careless words, though, Let's get away from the Facebook comment that's rude or crude. How many of our careless words shut the door for witness? Now, I'm going to say this, I, I, and I'm not telling you you should never comment or have a comment about politics or a comment about things going on in the world. You have the right to do that, okay? But I just want you to, as you think about this moving forward, before you hit send, ask yourself, is what I am sending out to the world that's going to be out there forever, does this help my witness or hurt my witness? The ultimate concern isn't whether you're right or wrong here in terms of your view. Your opinion may be right, and it may even have a strong biblical foundation. But just think of this. You may just feel all good because you told the world what the truth is. But what if you shut down an opportunity to witness maybe forever to that person? Jason Allen, uh, Dr. Allen, the president of Midwestern, we were having lunch uh, about a year ago. I spoke there at, at, the, at the seminary, and we were just talking about social media. And he said, you know, Jeremy, he said, before I hit send on any Facebook, we're talking specifically Facebook, he said, before I hit the button and send it, he says, I asked myself the question, do I have two days, 48 hours, to respond to what's coming? Now, that, that he's a person of, of, of uh, authority 
A lot of people are paying attention to his thoughts and his words. He's in a little different position than you or I might be in. But I want you to realize it's not just the next 48 hours. You always need to be thinking about the power of the electronic tongue. And here's the deal. You have the right. I said it a moment ago. You have the right to say anything you want. But that's not the ultimate concern for a Christian. It's not about your right to say it. The ultimate concern is, does it help my witness or hamper it. And I want you to make decisions that make your witness as broad as possible, as big as can be. Don't limit your witness. Don't do it. Don't take the chance. Listen, when you put your opinion out there on Facebook, you may be clever. I don't know. You may be the most uh, effective writer in the world, but most likely whatever you're going to say is already being said a thousand times by a thousand other people. And most of the people that you're trying to change They see the first sentence of what you write, and they don't read the rest of it. You might be wasting your time. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your words. I know this sounds funny, because sometimes I think we think as Christians, we've got to, like, defend ourselves all the time. We feel like we're on defense. The world's saying things that aren't Christian, and we have to fight back. Well, listen, there is a time and a place. Here's what I've noticed. When I've been able to really convince somebody, it's not been through a medium like media, social media, when I've had good conversations with people, it's been eyeball to eyeball. It's been when they can see my, my, my expressions and know my heart. Listen, you have a lot of friends on Facebook. You have a lot of, lot of people that you can send an email to or send a text message to. But if it's important, take the time to have a real one-on-one conversation, even if it's Zoom or FaceTime. At least then you're face-to-face in some way. We need to realize that our words are powerful, and our words can cause people emotional or mental stress, and that is a horrible thing. We can lead people astray. We can lead them toward destruction. Listen again to verse 6. Look at the text again with me. The tongue is set among our members, staining. Notice that, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Those words are as applicable today in the Facebook world as they were 2,000 years ago. I would say even more applicable today. You can set fires that are not good, that are destroying people when you are careless with your words. Gospel words can lead souls to heaven. Careless words can lead people to hell. Listen, I said a moment ago, when I get up to preach, I know there's a lot on the line. But do you realize if people know that you're a Christian, every time you comment on something, there's a lot on the line. Your witness, your capacity to have, to be able to speak a word to that person down the road. Let me tell you, there have been many times, I have a lot of friends on Facebook uh, that are not believers, and there are many times where they are speaking their mind, and they're talking about things in the world that I have completely different opinions on. And I will rarely respond. I almost never do. Now, I'm, I'm saying almost never because I'm sure at some point I, I just gave in. And, and usually it's a private message if I feel like someone's attacking the church or, or attacking a pastor. For instance, I will defend the pastorate. I may not try to defend myself. I don't want to be defensive about my silliness. But I will defend the office. So sometimes I feel like I need to defend the office of the pastorate. Maybe not myself, if that makes any sense. So sometimes I guess I would, but most of the time I won't. And I'll tell you why. Because if I get wrapped up in some petty, you know, conversation 
that's either political or philosophical. But what if down the road that person goes through a difficult time? What if they lose a loved one? What if they have a sickness? If I have already shut down that door, I don't even get the first word. I've been dismissed. So for me, and this is just how I look at it. I, I know that everybody kind of has to find their own way in this digital world that we live in. But here's the thing. A, a tongue can light fires of revival or it lights the fires of hell. Don't let it be the latter. Make sure it's always the former. Don't allow your speech to be a world of unrighteousness. Don't unleash a vicious cycle of destruction. Notice the entire course of life. It can also be translated like a wheel of death, of, of, of birth and death. Like you bring into existence all this evil and it just spins out of control. That's really the image that we have there in, in verse 6. Don't allow your words to become a cyclone, a tornado of destruction. Mind your manners. Mind your word. And make sure that the fire coming from you is lighting fires of revival, not fires of destruction. The internet today is a dangerous thing. And I don't want to keep picking on this, but I think it's so important since this is the world we live in. Today people feel freer than ever to hurl out hateful words. Because this medium doesn't require us to be face-to-face, -face, we just fire it off into the ether and don't care anymore. Let me just say this to you. Here's what's wrong with that. The difference now is we don't have to see the sadness in the other person's face when our words are ugly. We no longer have to view their tears. We no longer have to worry about getting hit in the face with a fist of anger. Text messages, emails, social media makes us all big and bold. But let me tell you what it does. Most of the time, it disregards the humanity of the other. When we are wise here, we're able to care for and love people well. The imperfections of our tongues can hurt people on the other side of the world. Your words can make a wasteland of a land you've never set foot in. So you don't even have to go somewhere now to be destructive. All you have to do is hit send. Getting back to work is not easy. Speaking words of love and truth is not easy because our hearts are wicked. And we have to come back to where we started. What drives you? What's your passion? Because if it's not the love of Jesus, you're going to feel, you're going to go home this afternoon and say, I know the preacher said I shouldn't, you know, sound off like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. This person deserves it. What do you deserve? Well, I'll tell you what I deserve. I deserve death and hell. I deserve no mercy. But I've been given mercy by Jesus, and to whom much is given, much is required. I need to lay down my life. When we talk about becoming all things to all men, what that means is that sometimes, even though you may have the high ground intellectually, politically, even theologically, you, you, you don't hit people with that. You love people. You, you, you fight for an opportunity to have a conversation. But too many times we're fighting against people and they feel it. Your words matter. Your words, those things coming out of your mouth, they're powerful. What is driving you? What drives those words? 
to modernize the metaphor, it's a steering wheel. Your words are like a steering wheel, that tiny circle that you hold in your hand and can keep you on the road. But many of us have gone off the road a long time ago. We, we ask the question, I wonder why I don't have a witness. Well, maybe it's because so many of our words have not been helpful nor holy. The worst I am, the worst, the worst I am is when I'm talking from a heart that's not prayed up, not word-centered. Because I'm going to tell you, preachers are ornery. Shayla, isn't that what you said about me the other day when we were talking? She says, oh, you're really ornery. That's what happens when you travel with me. You see just how ornery I am. She's right, by the way. I'm not picking on her. She's exactly right. I can be very ornery. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, you know, over the years, you know, uh, there's not a subject that's out there that I don't have an opinion on, a pretty strong opinion on. And it has been so hard to learn how to just be quiet. Be still, right? The word says, and know that I am God. And preachers are given the gift of speech, and so we find ourselves talking a lot of times, and it's not always helpful. There are times, brothers and sisters, where I know I've miscommunicated, where you've got something from me that I didn't intend, or maybe, maybe I did intend it, and it just wasn't helpful. This is heavy. To preach and to teach, it's a heavy responsibility. But listen, I'm not afraid of it because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to guide our words. I don't trust my own heart, but I've entrusted my heart to Jesus. Does that make sense? I don't trust my own heart, but I've entrusted my heart to Jesus. And with my heart in Jesus' hands, I know that the words that come out of my mouth can be edifying, can make a difference, can bring light and life to people. I love to preach God's word because I believe it is the only solution for our world today. And I'm just going to ask you right now as we wrap things up, is the Holy Spirit revealing to you any words you've spoken that have driven you away from God's will? Are there people you need to have a conversation with to make things right? Pastor Hosey, for many years, there was a sermon he would preach from time to time. Some of our folks remembered it as we were thinking through this text. And uh, it'll be very applicable here in a few weeks. But we thought we would go ahead and throw, throw it up here. It's a, it's a magnet that I think Ridgecrest folks were asked to put on their refrigerator. And I think you'll see why. God's house rules. Always think well of each other. Always speak well of each other. And always act well toward each other. That is really good advice. It's obvious and it's simple. That's why it fits this sermon, I think, very well. Those are simple words. And they're words for God's house, but they're, they're words for you this afternoon when it's just you and, and the whole wide world on Facebook interacting. Those are good words. And I'm going to ask you this. It is so easy after, after COVID, a year of COVID, where we've not been able to even see each other's faces or we've not been in church together. I, it's crazy how the devil has used that to stir up anxiety. Like, like if we hear somebody say something, it seems like it's magnified times 10 if we don't like it. And it's easy not to think well of other people, to think that they, they really meant that to hurt us. And that may not be the case. Have conversations with people. Make sure when you're talking that it, it can build people up not just tear them down. And please, when you do things, when you act, when you work, even if you ostensibly are saying it's for God, make sure that love is your motivation. What is driving you? You know, you can tell me right now, whatever, but it, it, your words, your day-to-day -day words, Monday through Saturday and even here on Sunday, but 
day by day, your words are driving you somewhere? Are they driving us as a church toward revival? Listen, the invitation is simple. Let's surrender our mouths to the Messiah. Let's give our words to the word. Let's give him our hearts, and then he'll give us revival. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.